Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Hello, how are we all doing? Well, today we're covering a topic that I've wanted to cover on the podcast for ages, and that is deer management, or rather the overpopulation of deer in the UK. A lot of people don't realise the problems that high numbers of deer cause to the wider environment and indeed to us as people. So I'm glad that I've got guest Luke Buttle on the podcast. Luke works on estates in countryside management, forestry, wildlife conservation and wildlife management and he was an absolute joy to go out with in the morning. He knew so much about the ecology of the area that he works in which is roughly a thousand acres in the East Midlands so not too far from where I lived. He also has an undergrad in wildlife conservation and habitat management and he did his dissertation on UK deer management. So not only does Luke know a lot about deer but he also physically goes out to control them. So I will warn listeners, if people are a little bit sensitive, we do shoot deer in this podcast, but we talk about the aspects of why it's important to control these deer, what happens if you don't control these deer, what are the practices that go into it to make sure that it is humane that when you do it, and what happens to that meat afterwards. So we cover a wide range of things on this topic. I've never been around an animal shot before so it was quite an interesting process. I used to shoot when I was younger actually, I used to do clay pigeon and uh, an air rifle but obviously Luke's got a, a proper gun but it was really interesting to kind of see all these aspects of it so here's our chat. Well welcome to the podcast Luke. Thank you for having me. So where are we today? So we are just the other side of sort of the Nottinghamshire border into Lincolnshire um, and today we're sort of having a little look around a mature woodland surrounded by a large arable crop in the search of potentially some fallow deer and it's what i mean must be about half six now coming up to seven so it's yeah it's not pitch black but it's still pretty dark this this woodland is so still can't yeah. hear, i mean apart from the odd tawny making a bit of a hoot we can't hear anything can you no it's it's a, it's a lovely morning so yeah. not really any wind sort of that blue hour just as the, as the lights are starting to come up great should we see what we can uh we can find you lead the way then. Yeah, this is all. We'll carry on down this track. Okay. And um, so just we'll uh, we'll cut across the drainage ditch to the little spinny and see, and um, we'll sit up there for a little while. Hey, so let's do. Okay. Let's have a walk along there. What's your What's your background then? Like, what's um, have you got to do this? <laughs> Basically, uh, how does so one end up doing this? I've been sort of stalking, stalking deer for over over a decade now. Okay. We're actually, sort of managing areas of land with deer on it for. So roughly sort of five or so years. Um, I've got my I did an undergrad in wildlife conservation, sort of habitat management side of things, um, which helped in the sort of the academic side and the of of wildlife population management. Yeah, of course. Um, so coupled along with some practical practical work alongside it, it sort of is um, it works hand in hand really. So what? Because so, obviously. I'll, 
people can't see what you're doing. You've got a are they binocular? Like a thermal binocular? Monocular? Yes, yes, this is a thermal monocular, like a spotter. Right. Um, which is perfect for this time of day and, and in daylight hours. It just, just allows me to sort of cut through the, the woodland and see if you have any, any heat signatures. And Yeah, you're cheating, um, really, aren't you, if you've got that? Technology's <laughs> come on a little bit from uh, how, it, how it was traditionally done. Um, but it does, it does help us, especially when it is a, sort of the management um, purposes of what we're trying to do. Yeah. It gives us that little bit of an extra edge. And you were saying, like, these are so advanced now that you can tell like what species it is and, and almost like the health of this, you know, what individual deer and whatnot. Yeah, it's, yeah. it gives us a very a very strong sort of representation of what we're looking at. Okay. If it's a, a mature buck, a young buck, uh, or, a, or a doe with a fawn, um, you know, so you can see if they're, if they're lame, if they're limping, so all that sort of stuff. And okay. um, instead of getting a big, a big heat signature or of a lot of deer together, we can individually sort of pick out and start selecting even before we get into sort of those daylight hours like we are now, yeah. or if say if we're in the woodland, and sometimes this time of year is not too bad because we've, we've lost a lot of leaf, the vegetation's down, but especially in sort of the, the spring sort of months, it cuts through all that and we can you can see what's there without oh, trying to sort of squint through your binoculars to find it. That was a tawny then, just uh, gone. But yeah, that, that, that makes sense. So what's, what's the plan now? We're gonna hunker down somewhere and yeah, if we there's, can... a, there's a small spinny just off the, the boundary, or just on the boundary, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't go off the boundary. <laughs> no, don't go off the boundary. There's a small spinny just on the edge of our boundary, and typically what's happening here at the moment is uh, there's a lot of fallow deer moving in across the across the arable land, into this woodland, across the other side onto more arable in the night, which is doing quite a severe bit of damage to one, the, the farmer's arable, arable crop and his annual yields, and two, there's a, a large amount of trampling and loss of woodland vegetation as well, um, a lot of over-browsing. So our idea this morning is to try and catch them leaving leaving the woodland in this area as they go off to where they sort of typically reside in the day. So we're just making our way to the spinney and we've got a heat signature, haven't we? Yeah, so we're looking through the spotter and we're just about to exit the edge of the woodland and just checking down the margins. And there's a, there's a pretty prominent heat signature just out in the field. And say so sort of from there in the land, it's about 180 metres off. And yeah, I would definitely like to say it's a muntjac. It's because if we scan across, we have two hares oh, yeah, in the yeah. field. I see them, yeah. And so if you sort of gauge, I guess that's probably a bit further, about 220, but the size comparison, so it's just chucked, tucked its head down that has the feed as it brings its head back up. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can see it's sort of probably facing away from us, moving its way down the margin there. So perhaps, unsurprisingly, we've found some fallow pretty... Pretty quickly, yeah. Pretty quickly. So we've got a group there of approximately sort of 15, 15 or so. Um, and you know they're fallow because there's there's a group of them. It's not there's, like there's a, yeah, there's a group of them. So there's not really any row around here. Okay. Um, they're quite often solitary or a couple of does together with their kids. But yeah, by the size of them, and looking at the range through my spotter, so they're about two four, they're three forty at the moment, three hundred forty yards. And how close do you need to be to take a shot? Ideally, well, from where they are, there's a nice safe backstop behind them. If we can get around in the woodland fairly sharpish and I can get down the bipod, sort of a couple hundred metres, we can, we okay. can get a nice humane shot, especially today, there's actually no wind. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll, um, we'll probably drop back in the woodland. Okay. And try and get ourselves a little bit further, further towards them. And you can make them out with a naked eye, just about. Yeah, it just gives that light now, yeah. So yeah. 
Okay. Through the optics, it'll um, it'll be clear as clear as day. Right. You lead the way then. Okay. So yeah, we just make our way down across through this edge of the woodland. They're just in our arable land still. They are making. They're grazing their way towards the boundary. I think, like we said, we're trying to cut off these fallow before they exit, um, which they're still a good 280 away. So we may just miss out, but we'll keep uh, keep moving ourselves on. Okay. What's their um, eyesight like? Uh, fairly good. It's is more it? just movement. Is it? Okay. Um, sort of drabs, like drab greens and browns is great. Yeah. It breaks you up a bit. Um, but being a herd species, more eyes they is the issue. One, one sees you and then you, you scoop And it. they've just crossed. Ah. <laughs> yeah. They've they, gone. They've gone. You look straight through here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the top of the hedge. I've got you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think they, they they saw us or heard us, or do you think they were just doing that? They just the, the speed that they're moving, they're just grazing their way across. Okay. Um, the same sort of thing with muntjac. They've got a fellow have a tail, and like row have no tail. Normally, you get a big flash of white as they lift their tail up right. when they're spooked. Okay. Um, but they've just they've moved at a nice steady pace across the road there. And they still got their heads down. They're grazing, but unfortunately, they're they're across our boundary now. So uh, we'll leave those guys be. So we just got to the spot where we were going to settle down, and uh, what's the issue, Luke? <laughs> yeah, we've probably spent the last 30 minutes or so slowly working our way through the woodland. Come across again a couple of muntjac and some hares and bits and pieces. Yeah, we've just got down to sort of the bottom edge of the woodland and to a nice flat bit of arable where, in the daylight hours, the, the, the fallow tend to, tend to like. And uh, we have uh, two people out walking their dogs on an area which hasn't got a footpath through. Which, yeah, obviously their their noise and their presence and their wind are one going to more than likely spook the deer, and two from a safety point of view. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we keep an eye on where they're going to go because hopefully they're not going to go too much further and hopefully turn around. But if they go up and around the woodland, that pretty much stops any potential shooting for today. Because, um, yeah, from health and safety is our biggest, yeah, of biggest course. priority, yeah, yeah, along, yeah. along with sort of humanely dispatching any deer that we we uh, intend to cull um so yeah we're just going to keep an eye on them for a minute and presumably if you go and say something it's it's more aggro than it's worth or does it depend on the situation it can be it depends yeah. on the situation yeah, yeah, yeah there's the concern of obviously approaching obviously if it was to I'd approach them with an unloaded rifle or yeah um if i was with a, par a partner out shooting um, i could potentially safely leave my rifle unloaded take the magazine with me with them and then approach them, but yeah. obviously it can be a quite a contentious situation. Yes. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if we were nearer to the vehicle, I'd go put the rifle away and then approach them. Yeah. Um, obviously calmly and just explain to them what's actually happening in the woodland here. Yeah. Um, so we are we do intend to try and put some signs down just at the end here, uh, where this has sort of frequently happened. Um, yeah, it makes people know. It make it makes sense because it it could very well be ignorance that they just don't know, or it might just be they don't care, like you say. Yeah. But regardless, it's still impacting you doing your yeah, work today. Other little factors: they've just walked through the middle of an arable crop, which is having issues as it is with the deer on it, and yeah, excess trampling from people, dogs crapping on it, and it, all <laughs> these sorts of things aren't aren't ever going to help. So yeah, we'll just let them we'll let them carry on for the time being, see where they end up. Um, it follows around to a track over in the far left corner there, so they might just be walking around to there. Okay. They would have winded a, a good section of the woodland, but hopefully 
if it had spooked any deer, they might not have moved them on too far. We do it all. So we find a, a quiet spot at the edge of the wood, so we might might get a deer, but while we're waiting, we'll have a bit of a waffle, shall we, Luke? Yeah. It'd be rude not to, wouldn't it? <laughs> so I think like the key question, because obviously a lot of people shooting deer, they're like, oh, oh no, this is terrible, but why do we need to control deer numbers in the UK? So deer have been growing in, in distribution and population annually for well, since pretty much since records began hmm. with introduction of new species as I said centuries ago with fallow introduced all their populations are growing annually with the management effort that's currently happening as it is that coupled with the encroachment on green space by us as humans expanding cities etc more roadways we're taking up more land when a popula- when populations are growing which is then obviously congesting congesting these species into areas which is then having detrimental effects on land management objectives especially in like rural England so for instance where we are here the main management purpose around here is one crop protection for the landowner and two we are in a very mature well-established woodland which seasonally we should see a nice variety of ground flora there is history of ancient indicator species in here such as like bluebells and snowdrops which for several years now there's been there's been no bulbs and no flowers coming through due to the heavy grazing of they'll deer. eat all those will they they'll yeah. eat those yeah. happily they say they're, they're very rich and nutritious and that reduction in ground flora then has knock-on effects to the ground nesting birds small mammals pollinators i pollinators, guess pollinators well. yeah. exactly yeah. some people might say oh you just we're just looking to come out and shoot deer but those are sort of more like the, the ecological and the monetary sort of reasons behind us doing that but also congesting any sort of species especially things like mammals into an area you're you're then reducing the or you're increasing sorry the the chance of disease yeah and the, the general quality within that herd within that population so our management objectives here is reduce numbers down to where the land management objectives can be made and met and also where the deer are a healthy population with a good demographic and reducing the damage that they're having to to the environment because I suppose in a in a healthy ecosystem, you, you'd have predators that would manage the deer. And even in days gone by, we would have eaten more deer. Whereas, yes. you know, you fast forward to now, there's there's no large land predators to control deer. And we, we just don't eat deer like we used to. So no. those numbers are going to be unnaturally high. Yeah, exactly. So venison um, is seen as sort of maybe something you might see in the restaurants or mm. as a very high priced meat in the yeah. shops. Bloody um, nice, though. I love, <laughs> I love venison. It's one of the perks of the job. Yeah, definitely. It's one of the perks of the job. So, um, but yeah, I could, you could preach all day about the quality of the meats, obviously being wild, less stress, no antibiotics. Probably a better life than most, you know, exactly. a lot of farm and animals. The, <laughs> and a big part of my job is making sure what we do is humane and ethical. Yeah. Um, yeah so making sure the deer doesn't, doesn't suffer. Um, and then processing that carcass correctly so it can then go into the food chain. And we've got, you mentioned that we've got a few species. Is it six, six species in the so UK? There's six species, wild species in wild, the UK. Okay. You do get some variants in park deer. Okay. Um, yeah, so we have our six species. You've got your two native, your red and your roe. Okay. And then species which have been introduced, your fallow, your seeker, your Chinese water deer and your muntjac. How many do we get here? So here we have definite presence of fallow and muntjac. Yeah. Locally, there are presence of roe, uh, and the others are there hasn't been recorded presence. Okay, so you've got a few um, to to pick through. Yeah. So you're talking about the the shooting of the deer. Are there any kind of non-lethal methods to not control deer, but to stop them being a 
a nuisance. So yeah, like th for instance, things that are carried out here, I don't think today's the day, one of the days to do it, but they let off like scarers. Okay. Um, yep, almost yep, similar yep. to a bird scarer. Yeah. Um, sounds like a bit of a firework going off and <laughs> ideally it helps push the deer out of, off the woodland and off the, off the arable land. But with the nature of the, the land around here and the topography, we're very much um, we're very much an arable, an arable landscape with mature woodland, which for, for fallow deer is perfect. Right. Um, they've got shelter, they've got food. It's, it's, it's perfect. If you were a fallow deer, you'd want to live in I'd be very happy. I'd be very happy around here. <laughs> and obviously you kind of keep meticulous records. You're not just running around willy-nilly shooting everything. If you don't get anything, that's marked down. If you do get something, is there like a target? Like, is there an acceptable number of deer that you're trying to get to or...? So yeah, the, the tricky the tricky thing with with fallow and the nature of the landscape and land management objectives around where we are is fallow have quite big home ranges. Right. And the, the typical behaviours of them are to move through areas through day through night uh, in search of yeah, those two main things: shelter, shelter and food. And then at times of the year when it's breeding, the the bucks be in search of females. So the challenge that we have here specifically on this land is is only. A dozen to two dozen deer that we've recorded via sensing and camera camera trap images over some feed stations that actually reside in the woodland but through the night there is an excess of four to five hundred deer wow. moving through the landscape across multiple landowners land um, which we have sort of evidence via like thermal imaging um, videos obviously the trail cameras and then just the presence within this woodland and the land surrounding everywhere we've walked in the wood today i mean there's tracks everywhere isn't there yeah, so sort of every 10 15 meters in the drainage that runs around the outside there's prominent tracks and runs i've done dung counts through here um which yeah through sentencing i've done during the day compared to dung counts they're, com they're completely different um, yeah. which obviously the dung counts coming from the deer being through here at night yeah of course and yeah, the the land, the arable land, is taking such a hit for well, the landowners are taking such a hit. Their yields are year, annually just decreasing, which oh, so it's actually taking money out of their pockets. And these deer, what they're eating their crops, or they're damaging the soil, or what sort? Both, of, both. both. So okay, yeah, right. so you've got trampling, and you've got obviously yeah, the fact that they eat, they're eating a large amount of crop every day. Um, obviously, this time of the year, we haven't really got many acorns left, or the beech mast and things, which the deer will happily eat in the woodland. Hmm. So the normal thing for them to turn to is is the vast amount of crop which is on their doorstep. What What's that crop going towards? Is that animal feed or is that human consumption or you, you're not uh, sure? Depending on obviously what it is. I know yeah. there's, there's winter cereals planted okay. locally around here and wheat. Um, all seed rape is just on, on the backside of where we are here. So yeah, obviously with well, with modern times, farmers having to rotate crops, um, It's it, it varies. Even say there's some grass silage ground around here, again, it still affects so yields. in extreme cases then is that would that drive up prices and things or that's going to make it harder for for the farmers because is they're getting less we, yeah so yeah. as we know through pretty much every industry at the moment prices of say for the farmer fertilizers yeah. and fuel costs vehicle costs everything are going up insurance costs yes running alongside that the price of wheat and everything's going up so that does help but yeah when they're losing that yield and when you have five six hundred deer coming through eating between two and sort of four kilos a day it soon adds up yeah it's not going to take long for them to to do it and you yeah. were saying as well that it's not just you know oh see some deer bang bang you're much more selective than that yeah so even though there's a vast there's a vast numbers of deer here we our objective is to, to leave a well-balanced demographic in the population so yeah we're looking we look to sort of take a, a good selection of age groups through both sexes so we need to make sure we're leaving like some nice 
healthy breeding males, um, healthy breeding females, and yeah, just a nice split demographic. Not too much of one, not too much of the other. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess one of the important things, or one of the, one of the good things about it, is that this meat isn't just being chucked in a ditch, is it? It's going no. to to use. No, of course. As I, yeah, as I said, venison is a, it's a it's a beautiful resource, mm. it's a sustainable resource, which which managed correctly, we can utilize for a long time. And so yeah, we make sure that everything that is a fit uh, use goes into the food chain. So. Uh, all the guys here, we have something called your DSC, DSC one, deer stalking certificate one, deer stalking certificate two, which is part of you have to be able to successfully cull an animal safely, gralic it, which is taking the guts out, yeah, uh, and then <laughs> inspecting that. So checking like the lymph nodes and the main organs just to make sure uh, okay. there's no signs of parasite or infection or that must be a pretty messy job. We're uh, not bothered. No, not bother too you. bothered. Gloves, okay. yeah, gloves and plenty of water. <laughs> You're not just diving it. No, no, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, so yeah, that's that's one of the biggest parts of what we need to do is making sure, and then from there, making sure it goes into the larder and the chiller okay. as quick as it can, cooling the carcass down correctly. Right. And then either from there, we'll, it will go off to the game dealer, or we can either break it down ourselves and okay. turn it into steaks and sausages and burgers and mints. Any recipe you recommend? Anything you really like? We use oh, venison. My go-to is a, a, a venison Wellington. Oh, okay. So like a yeah, loin, yeah. loin of fallow. Into like a into like your traditional beef Wellington, but with venison, yeah. Oh, I should I should have had breakfast this morning. Now yeah, I'm just thinking of that. It's a Sunday as well, so <laughs> I know. Yeah, I go down for the well. cards. <laughs> what well, one of the things we've we've not talked about is obviously there's yeah. there's deer damaging woodlands, and and you've talked about crops, but they're also responsible for people dying in that. And people might go, what? But road accidents because there's this high number of of deer. I think. Uh, I was reading up on it. The quote is about twenty people a year. Are you saying it might be higher? Yeah, that, actually? I, I think from I done a big well, my undergrad. I done a I done a, my dissertation on on deer in the UK and how it's managed and the effects it's having. Yeah, and annually it's it's increasing rapidly. As say as we said, we're reducing the space they can live in, and mm. they're increasing in numbers and inc- encroaching on their space. Increase is with the increase of roads as well. So yeah, road traffic collisions not only are taking lives obviously they're, they're costing a lot of money for the, yeah. the individuals individuals that are um that are involved and often the deer aren't killed either they're quite often they're maimed and yeah it's not great for them either. no <laughs> like for instance there is a there's a buck on here which has evaded me several times at the moment who's missing the lower half of his back left leg i i would suspect it's from road. it's from a road collision yeah but he's all every time i've seen him he's either been on the boundary or have lost light or yeah, it's just, wily. He's, he's wily, but <laughs> yeah. he's an individual which he's he looks fit and healthy, but yeah, it's sort of the animals that we'd look to sort of cull. You want um, to remove them? Yeah, because obviously from a distance, I can't tell if he's got infection in there or things like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you, you. I mean, we both live near the A1. I mean, the A1, A1's littered with deer. You go mm-hmm. along, there's there's muntjacks on there, and they might see the odd fallow or row. So you you do see this all um, all over the time when you when you're driving along. It's just yeah absolutely everywhere along it yeah and so that the a1 is just sort of seems to be the barrier at the moment for for fallow over this side into sort of lincolnshire area which i don't think it would be long before they move their distribution no once it and enough, enough numbers get across and can establish a healthy population yeah it's fortunate in some senses for people that want to manage deer there but in the sense of the damage they're doing to the environment it's it is good in the sense that we have that barrier artificial when it's in what yeah. it is yeah yeah but yeah, reducing those numbers to help reduce collisions, and then the things that you start, you start to see more of now, sort of those nature corridors and yes. green bypasses, yeah. um, sort of just to help their movement if they are wanting to cross. 
They it's can, better that they go down that rather yeah, than someone yeah, hitting go the down car. or go over or yeah. It's um, it is it's an ongoing issue which is only getting worse unfortunately. I, I remember driving in Dartmoor a couple of years ago and two red red stags ran in front of me, and I only just missed them and I I, li- I saw that my life flash behind my eyes because I thought, Jesus, if I'd have hit one of those. Not only would it have made a mess of the car, but you know, I don't know what would have happened to me. Like a muntjac, I can probably comfortably flatten. Yeah, but um, but uh, they still do some damage. They're yeah, like, I bet they like do. a little beer keg on legs, aren't they? Are they pretty pretty, <laughs> pretty, st- pretty stocky? Are yeah. they okay? Yeah, they're crazy little animals. But it's because everyone always says to me as well, oh, why did why did the deer just stop? And it's because within the the way in which for their eyes to work to being at so they can have good visibility or some visibility at night, the ratio to the cones and rods in their eye might bore some people <laughs> yeah the ratio of cones and rods in the right it creates like a white film within their eye ah. with that bright light it reflects back against their lens which then it yeah it makes them freeze okay um where you'd think where well, some some animals like a fox for instance which as being a predator has a slightly different eyes it will stop and look at you but there's a very good chance he's going to keep he's running gonna get out of the way okay that makes more sense we mentioned about you you kind of sell the meat is there much a demand for venison like do many people want it or it's becoming a more of a popular meat of choice i think um and it's sort of around the local area, like friends, family. Once people, I think, get the taste of it and they realise the quality and they can notice the quality in the meat, um, word spreads and, yeah, it is getting more popular, which is brilliant because in the, the day, so we, we don't do this for monetary purposes. I think I mentioned no. to you, this isn't... This and isn't, this isn't you on a jolly, is it? You're not no. like... Unless you're not. We're coming out to do a job, yeah. but yeah. in a sense of our... Like reclaim back of for equipment and a little bit of time is that venison sale to the game dealer and stuff but we're not here to bring clients out who might shoot a deer or who want to shoot a big buck yeah. or things like that that's not our purpose here we're trying to do a job for the landowner and for the environment because it is unfortunately taking a bit of a hit yeah no definitely it does it does have a huge huge factor on that are there any advantages to eating venison is there anything that venison has that maybe more kind of shop-bought meats don't so yeah obviously a lot of people compare it to like your red meats like your beef it's lower in fat lower in cholesterol higher in protein per 100 grams and being a wild a wild animal that hasn't had the stresses of of being farmed it hasn't had antibiotics put through its system so and it has it's the stress factor so Typically, we'll stalk into a group that doesn't know we're there. As long as the shot's safe, I, my pref my preference is to take a head or a neck shot, yeah. which is an instant instantly kills a deer. It drops it on the spot. You haven't had this big rush of adrenaline and and blood going through its body, which can taint the meat a little bit. But also, it's another five to fifteen seconds maybe that deer's not dead. Yeah. How, how does a neck? Because sh- obviously, I, I don't shoot. So how how does a neck shot? Kill it. I can understand a headshot because yeah. obviously the brain's gone. So how would a so a neck shot? You're looking to break the spine and spinal cord. Oh, okay. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay, that makes um, sense. So it's always it's always making sure that it's a safe shot. You've got a nice solid backstop behind, and obviously spending a lot of time around deer, you understand their behaviour and their ecology, and it's understanding yeah what their what their likely actions are. If they're down grazing and they bring their head up, they're likely going to drop their head back down to graze again. So yeah. in that instance, you might give them a little whistle or a bark just so they freeze got long you. enough to take a safe shot got you and there's less chance for instance of heads being crossed though there is the torso being a lot bigger if you've got a group of deer you don't want to kind of injure one behind yeah. or yeah, yeah the that, bullet will that makes sense. will pass through and yeah you've got the chance of yeah wounding a deer instead of killing a deer so if people want to source venison uh what's the best thing to do like a farm shop or like I don't know where you'd find farm, the right or farm shop or say around the area uh, say a uh, sales at Vale Field and Game okay in, um, based in just outside of Long Clawson yeah um, we have a good supply of venison all the time yeah obviously from what we're doing here 
And yeah, I would say if you're trying to find a good good farm shop or someone who manages deer and has the right facilities to process it, that's your best bet. Because unfortunately, the majority of the stuff in supermarkets is likely to be farmed. Yeah, they're not. Um, yeah. Which no, let's say it's still it's still a nice source of a source of meat. It's a good quality meat. But they say yeah, the, the the comparison to farm meat and to wild meat is it's it's second. It's so there's so much difference between them. It's yeah, it's it's you should find out for yourself. I'd say it's, yeah. it's beautiful and we try and we try and sort of advertise the venison as what it is. So if it is a fallow loin steak or if it is a muntjac diced. Because each each species has its own a unique flavour, unique grain of meat. It's not as easy just saying venison is yeah. venison. Each of those six deer is going to have its own. Yeah. Each yeah, okay. each each flavour, which is, is then each each person's palate will be acquired to that. So it's just trying to get the awareness out there more. That it is a yeah. very good good that source makes. of meat and it is available. And there's more game butchers now, isn't there? So I suppose if you're struggling, presumably try and find a game butcher yeah. or something like that as well. Yeah, and they, exactly. they might have more exactly. options for We're, that. We've been trying to approach a few butchers to say because. It is. It's, you are seeing more again the traditional butchers that have game and have have beast and stuff hung up in the windows and stuff. Yeah. Which I know it can be contentious and everyone is entitled to their opinion, but it is for some people it is their way of life. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely the the things I get through is that you've got to shoot this from from a management point of view because as you say, if you don't shoot the deal or control the numbers, we're not trying to eradicate them. You're trying yes. to control the numbers then they damage bark on trees, they're eating those low-growing plants, which is going to have massive knock-on effects for the wider environment. And the amazing thing is that you can then also not waste that meat and you can make use of it. So yeah. for me, it's all positives. It's not it's not very good if you're the deer being shot, but apart from no. that, apart from it's, that, it's all positives. It's not their fault, obviously. They weren't. No, they didn't, they didn't no. get asked to be brought to the UK. They weren't, yeah. Is that, is that a month, Jack, in that top? Just right. at the base, well, there's of something, sort of base of those there's hazel. something, yeah, I think so. I might be wrong. Yeah, yeah I think it's a stump. I've just, I was just looking oh, through it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. All right. I ain't got my glasses on. That's my excuse. So it, I, I, thought, I thought it was. Um, yeah, it's a base of a stump. It's a base of a stump. Okay. All right. So we have seen a few. There is a lot of jack in here. So it wouldn't be surprising. No, this this lower right. end down here, they do like it through here. Yeah, we've seen. Ideal, ideal little bit of habitat. We've seen a few. But yeah, I mean. Like I say, it is all these issues that, that deer cause that people maybe don't realise. And I guess what would be the worst... So say if you didn't call deer or didn't control deer, yeah. what what would happen? So unfortunately, they'd, they'd get into a point where competition between themselves would would start to force uh, increase of disease, yeah. um, starvation. There was a project done a while ago on a... It was on a farm, but they tried not to call it a farm, in Holland. Okay. Where they released deer and other species such as like bison etc okay um to try and act to try and run an experiment that you could leave these species to inhabit an area they'll rewild it and they'll manage their manage themselves yeah manage their own populations and unfortunately within sort of five i think it was about three to five years of the project obviously with those individuals having young there was a reduction in natural mortality because they were fenced in and they had all this woodland stuff as feed the starvation rates were were pretty astronomical, and it was quite ended up being quite severe in the sense of a lot of animals died through starvation, and a lot of animals had to be cold. Right. Um, so there wasn't that regulation in the population like they thought there would be. Exactly the same sort of thing would happen. Um, we're limited to the amount of green space where these animals can live, and that is becoming in, yeah, increasingly limited. So it's a finite resource. Yes, yeah. indeed it is. Yeah, makes sense. Well, should we go see if we can? find some more deer yeah so we'll uh, we'll carry on around this woodland edge 
and um, so we've got about 70 acres here in mature woodland and we'll come up the other side where our wind hasn't been yet so um, we'll see if maybe something's better down after having a morning feed and see what we can do. Sounds good to me. something there though isn't there yeah. see that for me there looks like a bit of a head yeah no I, I can see what you mean see S That was a munchak. So we're sort of coming to the end of our stalk now, around the wood, and there is a large population of munchak in here. They aren't doing the sort of severe damage that uh, the fallow are doing, but um, they still do browse on on the, the ground floor in the woodland. And you were saying they do like the belly thing with yeah, like young young sapling tree saplings. They uh, they walk belly onto them, and so that it sort of folds them down almost, and they nip the top off and. They'll take the buds off and then that's the end of the sapling, really. Did, did you get that one? Yeah. Oh, you got him? Yeah, oh, wow, yeah. okay. I was expecting you to jump up and be like... Oh. No, no, no. <laughs> well, you, you were saying earlier, people might might think it's easy for you to be like, oh, he must hate deer. But you... Opposite? Opposite, complete opposite. Eh? I, I adore deer. Like, they are they are my passion. Um, and to do what we do is you have to be in a position to understand their ecology and their behaviours in such detail that, yeah, you have to you have to adore them. They're a beautiful yeah. animal, and yeah. the big part of what we're doing is the, is for the best of the population. Yeah. Um, obviously, yes, yeah, so it involves culling animals, taking their life, but it's in the it's a small evil for a greater good. Yeah. It's not so much you taking pleasure in doing the act; it's just you know something that's got to be done. Can we, can we have a look at it? Can yeah. We go see it. So please, John. Yeah. Well spotted though. I mean, oh, I, I think is it right in the middle? Yeah, right in that. I've got, I've got you. So without that, um, just get my brass. Yeah, yeah. Without, without that thermal, you'd, without the thermal, we wouldn't have. Uh, I've got it now. Terms. I can see it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've retrieved the uh, the muntjac out. So, yeah, it's um, clean, clean bullet through it. Yeah. So she was she was fairly close. So say we walked into her and she was bedded down. That's why it was a bit tough to work out what she was, if she was a muntjac or a fallow. And yeah, she stood up and say it wasn't much more than sort of 50, 50 metres away if that, 30 metres. Yeah. And yeah, I was comfortable taking a, taking a headshot with her, which a smaller animal as well, we try and sort of save as much meat as possible. Yeah. So that's pretty much zero meat wastage on that. And yeah, she's, it's a nice clean kill. 
which is the main thing. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing seeing it it close up like that. But yeah, it, it's a, it's an instant. So when that bullet hits, it's it's gone, is it? Pretty yeah, much like there's it's not. It's instant. So the type yeah. of bullet we, I'm using there, it's a it's um a home load. Right. So it's a 120 grain bullet, uh, soft point, which the whole point of the soft point is as it as it makes contact, yeah. it mushrooms out and creates a big wound channel. Right. Um. But obviously, shooting them as we have in with if a headshot, anything is uh is going to be terminal pretty much instantly. That is crazy, yeah. It's just first time I've ever seen that before. But like we were saying earlier, it's it's part and parcel of, of the management of the woodlands. Well, thanks for chatting, Luke, because it's been really interesting finding out about deer management. It's not the sort of thing that I'd normally do on a Sunday morning. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Thank you. So thank you for coming out. So we've had, uh, it's a lovely time, the time of the year to be out. It always is in the British countryside. Um, it's one of the big pluses. It's not we're out here to do a job. It's also out here to enjoy what we have. Well, I think one of the things I've noticed about you, which is really nice, is that you're you've got a lot of interest in the wildlife. And I think that if you look at the shooting community and the wildlife community, they've, they've got a lot more in common than they haven't. Obviously, it's different approaches, of course. Yes. But you know, like you've been walking along, we've been noticing green woodpecker and all those different sounds, and it's been it's been lovely to kind of and the red kite nest, which I didn't you know didn't know yeah. they nested locally. That was lovely to see. No, yeah, of course. So it's like I said to you before, we're a, we are a management tool with with a skill set that I know has it can be frowned upon, but we do have a skill set which can help in wildlife conservation and wildlife management. Yeah. Um, and so I think utilizing that alongside sort of more academics etc. that have have the the numbers and the information that can help us. It can only be a positive, in my opinion, of what we can do together. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you know, and a lot of NGOs like RSPB, they do shoot, they don't publicise it particularly, but they do control certain animals on their land as well. Yeah. But they maybe just keep a little bit quiet about that. But I, I find it fascinating, mate. So, yeah, thanks for taking the time. No, really thank you. It. Thank you. That was Luke Buttle. I had a really interesting morning with him, and we could definitely see the damage the deer had caused in the area. I mean, the surrounding farmland was trampled, there was not a lot of the crops left. You could also see in the woodland there was just no low-growing vegetation or very little of it, which was a real, real shame. So I think there is merit in controlling deer numbers. And of course, it's not a waste. You can eat that. Luke very kindly gave me some venison at the end of that day as well. So I've got a load in my uh, freezer, which I'm going to enjoy. I think I'm going to make a nice venison stew. Look forward to that. So you know, it's win-win on all sides. You're controlling an animal to help native wildlife and you're not wasting the meat either. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't think it's a bad thing. One of the really interesting things is obviously you have assumptions about people and particularly like when you look at people who shoot wildlife, you have all these preconceived notions. But when Luke shot that deer, he didn't smile. He wasn't jumping for joy. He wasn't some gun-toting maniac. I didn't even, I mean, when you listen to it, I didn't even know he'd got the shot. There was no, like, exclamation. He wasn't happy about killing it. Obviously, he knows it's part of his job and he had to do it. But I found that fascinating because I thought, you know, he'd be like, yeah, got one, got you, you bugger. But there's none of that. I didn't know until he told me. And it's all a quick process. As soon as the deer is, is shot, I mean, it, it was dead. I, I, I didn't want to describe it in detail because it is a bit gruesome, I'll admit, but there is no doubt in my mind that deer was dead on impact. Put it that I'll spare you the gory details, but it definitely was dead on impact. And then Luke uh, guts it on sight, uh, gralicking, I think they call it, which again is not for the faint-hearted, but if you eat meat, you can hardly be squeamish about someone butchering an animal. 
how do you think that piece of lamb or that piece of steak gets on your plate? So he, he did all that really quickly and then got the got the carcass back to his house to kind of clean up with the, the skinning and whatnot. So it's quite a quick process from, you know, shooting, skinning and preparing the meat. In theory, you could pretty much shoot it in the morning and eat it in the afternoon if you really wanted to have it pretty pretty fresh but I found it amazing you know I thought it was a really interesting really interesting process. Now it's that time of the podcast where I try and convince you to cough up some money to help us keep going. I run this podcast on my own the only way that we make money is through donations through buymeacoffee.com so if you enjoyed this podcast and some of the others that we've done you can donate through the link in the description it can be a couple of quid it can be as much as you want that helps us keep going. It pays for expenses. At the minute, we're trying to raise a thousand pounds so that I can do more far-flung interviews with people. I'd like to travel all across the UK and interview lots of different people about lots of different subjects, but I need some money to do that. So if you can donate towards that, that is greatly appreciated. You can also leave a comment and then we'll read that comment out in the following podcast. If you want to write a message, we'll read that out in the next episode. Wherever you listen to your podcast, if you can leave a review, that is fantastic. It helps us in the analytics and gets pushed up. So if you can leave us a short review, that would be phenomenal. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter, at TitBearded, and on Facebook, we're the Bearded Tits Podcast. Now, next week, we've got Ash Whifflin on the podcast, and we're going to be talking all about beetles. She works for Edinburgh Museum, where she creates their beetle collection, but she's also massively into all kinds of weird and wonderful insects that we've got in the UK. So I can't wait to chat to her all about that. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers.